This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. On the planet Arcturus, he's the toughest cop around. folks welcome once again to howling at the full moon the cinema degeneration show that celebrates everything and anything charles band related we haven't recorded here in a while we've been on a little bit of a hiatus had other projects going on recording for the killer wheels appreciation month which we still managed to do one full moon movie for that where we did murder cycle and uh, that was kind of a chore to get through but this movie was <laughs> Uh, it, it's a pleasure for me to have to watch this, but I don't think it was so much of a pleasure for our co-host, Dustin. Uh, welcome to the show once again, my good friend Dustin Hubbard. I'm I'm sorry I had to make you th- sit through one that I know is not one of your favorites. <laughs> uh, always great to be back, but yeah, I, I, I make no bones about the fact that I am not a fan of our, our OG doll man vehicle, so... <laughs> 
Well, you know, you know, we'd like to do things in order around here. And, you know, if we're going to do things like sequels and whatnot, in order to do Dollman versus Demonic Toys, we have to sit through Dollman. So it's kind of like sitting through a, a dinner with your least favorite cousin, <laughs> you know, in order to, get, to sit through dinner with your favorite uncle, you know. With that being said, let's go ahead and get right off into our review here. This is uh, from the Paramount era, which is some of the more classic, uh, you know, full moon fair. This is uh, Doll Man from 1991, directed by the great Albert Pune. I love Albert Pune. Uh, I'm a big fan of most of his work, and he's got an extensive body of work. Worked quite a bit with uh, our lead man, Tim Thomerson. But uh, the... Short IMDb synopsis is <laughs> inconsistent even for the poster that's sitting right next to it. And the poster says 13 inches with an attitude where the, the, the synopsis reads a hard boiled intergalactic policeman lands on earth where he is only 12 inches tall. It's like, pick a height, pick a height motherfuckers. <laughs> is he 12 I inches? In, I think in the movie at one point, Debbie even comments on the bus ride that it's a 13 inch man. And her friend Maria's like, oh, I'd love to meet a 13-inch man. <laughs> Wouldn't we all? <laughs> we'll come over after work. <laughs> That's actually something I made a note about. You know, we don't have to talk about this one. And uh, we're going to probably make this a short one so I don't make you suffer quite so long. <laughs> but let's talk about that sequence. There, there is that sequence where, you know, uh, Kamala Lopez's Debbie is talking to her friend Maria and like, why, if you're keeping the secret of a 13-inch, you know, little alien man in your apartment, you're not keeping a great of, uh, secret if you're, A, telling everybody about it, and B, inviting everybody over to see him. Well, I was going to say, I don't think it was really much of a secret either, though, because, like, the other woman comes up and she's like, oh, well, we might be able to take, you know, I don't remember the exact wording, but she's basically like, I don't know, she sounds very... um uh ethnic <laughs> in a very yes. cliche almost sounding way and she's like oh we'll, we'll be safe with the doll man helping us <laughs> or something and i'm like oh everyone knows about him they're all calling him by his signature name doll man the doll man <laughs> yeah yeah they do a piss poor job at like keeping this guy a secret like everybody knows about him yeah yeah it's like the whole it's like the whole east bronx knows about brick bardo before he like barely even got out of the spaceship so <laughs> Uh, but I love how this movie opens. I, I love the little interspace sequence. I love Tony Ripperetti's score. Tony had worked quite a bit with Albert Pion. It's pretty much like uh, Pion's uh, go-to uh, musician for you know scoring all his movies. I love the score. I have it on CD signed by Ripperetti. Uh, but it's a story. It, it, his main theme to this, I think, is actually one of the great full moon themes just for the record i think the opening theme is phenomenal oh me too me too and uh, this is a story that was uh, originally written by charles ban uh, screenplay by uh screenplay by played by several different people chris rogner egg naha or ed naha i guess that's how you pronounce his name ed naha. I'm, I'm probably mad I'm probably masquerading it, sir. So Ed, but forgive me for that. David Pabian. I'm 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 probably massacring everybody's name in this. I apologize. I'm I'm not great with names, but uh, I love how it goes right into the cold open with that criminal that's running the streets. That's just like getting chased by the cops, going down into the uh, 
Arturos, which is 10,000 light years from Earth. But I had to stop it. This is the first time. Now, I've seen this movie 15 times, 20 times. I never paid attention to who's playing that criminal. It's Frank Doubleday. Yeah. Who was uh, a John Carpenter staple in Assault and Precinct 13, Escape from New York, amongst others. How on the like I I got my street cred for being a full moon and John Carpenter fan just dropped the notch because I did not notice that till now. Yeah, it's, he's really funny in the opening too. Honestly, like I think the the opening of this movie starts off weird but strong. I think the opening sequence on Arturos is actually my yes. favorite part of the whole movie. Truthfully. <laughs> Yes, it could have been a whole movie just set on Arturos, but you know, then we wouldn't have the the whole legitimacy of calling it Dollman. But it could have just been called Brick Bardo, and I would have been happy with a movie that I would have probably been more happy with a movie that just took place completely on Arturos. I I think that would have been nice, but I think probably it was not cost prohibitive to <laughs> do a whole movie. Yeah. Although Arturos looks like uh, looks like a cool planet because it's. Uh, very black and orange from space, so it always looked like a a planet that was like I don't know, kind of singed to me. So, yeah, singed. I, I see what you did there, sir. It looks very yeah. like the scenic shots look very like I don't know, like very oddly futuristic though, because it feels like it's trying to be very sort of like utopian with the architecture and the the vehicles and things so that i feel like what you see on arturos doesn't really match the visual vibe of like the shot of the planet from space but you know no no it doesn't it does but, look you know a dark planet though because everything we see there's basically seems like night except for i guess the day after <laughs> so well, and and I, I I don't quite get like the fact that it, you know everything's so dark, but it's so underlit there in the beginning until they get to the next morning. We'll we'll get to that part. You know, I feel like maybe it's like a planet that is maybe really close to its sun is kind of the vibe I got. It feels like a really hot sort of dust bowl of a planet, and the the nights are really dark and the days are probably really bright and hot that was kind of the impression i always had of Arturos, but they don't ever really tell you anything otherwise so <laughs> but again you know i would have been all for uh a movie that would have taken place completely you know what i mean that would have taken place completely on Arturos. i'd have been all for that sure Same. but I love how Brick Bardo walks in. It's the complete, he's obviously even, you know, if you check the IMDb or anything on the Wikipedia and, and the stories behind the scenes, Brick Bardo's character was heavily influenced by Dirty Harry. They even have the mentioning of the, the problem that took place in the Fillmore district, which is a direct reference to Dirty Harry, you know, with the, the whole line about, you know, a man chasing a woman with a heart on and a butcher knife, you know, not collecting for the red cross and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's all very on the nose, but, you know, they're setting you up for this character. They even have the, the mayor, who's played by great character actor Judd Oman. I, I love Judd Oman. I mostly remember him from uh, Pee-wee's uh, Big Adventure. You know, that he's just a great guy. He's always so intense. It's an A-plus for one of the coolest, like, 
talent names ever because Judd Omen sounds like a total badass for one, and he usually plays total badasses. So, and he's a total total badass asshole as the mayor. He's he's really funny in that. I always remember him from Pee Wee, and I always remember him from probably one of his lesser popular movies where he was um, one of Robert Vaughn's right hand military guys in Bud the Chud. Oh, that's right. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I haven't watched that in quite a while. I might have to give that a review. But yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, visiting, in my opinion. But yeah, he's he's really funny in Bud the Chud, actually. But he's he's a really good asshole in Doll Man. He likes to scream a lot and he hates Brick Bardo because it's funny because I don't know. That whole sequence plays out in the opening and you notice they're, you know. Judd Omen's like, no, not Bardo, you know. But then, like, yeah, when he's talking to Nicholas Guest, when he's just like, hey, Bardo just showed up. He's like, no, anybody but him. Yeah, they, they play it up like, oh, he's this like insane, like loose cannon, yada yada yada. You know, people, there's always tons of violence and unnecessary death kind of mentality. But then, like, he goes in and just sort of comedically starts to do his laundry. <laughs> he doesn't, right, right. He doesn't, actually injure anyone like on purpose like in the when someone does get injured it's kind of like you know by accident but it's like he doesn't do anything to anyone like he he comes in and acts sort of like uncommonly docile different yeah yeah so it's very indifferent he's just like i'm just here to do my laundry this is where i do it you know varying tones yeah like when nicholas guest is like what what are you gonna do and he's like I'm going to, I don't remember the exact line. He's like, I'm going to do my whites in warm and I'm going to do my colors in cold. <laughs> <laughs> and he just looks at him. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, laundry captain. He's like, this is where I do it. I, I just love his deadpan delivery. <laughs> and, you know, let's, and let's face it, you know, this movie would not be even a smidge of, of what it is without Tim Thomerson. Tim Thomerson, you know, we, we love him here. We both do, you know, Tim Thomerson's fucking legend. It's crazy because I think to the Arturos segments actually have our most powerful actors as well with, because, you know, you have Frank Doubleday, you obviously have Thomerson, you have Judd Oman, and you have Nicholas Guest. Nicholas Guest, if he had had a larger role, he can be just as deadpan smarm as Thomerson. Obviously not as cool. <laughs> but, no, like, no. He's he's he got the charm and, he, and and whatnot, but he he's not. Don't, yeah, he's yeah. he's not so, Tim. Yeah, we just don't get enough of those people, and then unfortunately, when we leave the planet, we never get them again. So, and they never come back for any sequels. Nobody ever does. It's literally just just Tim Thomerson. And really, when you have Tim, what the fuck else do you need? You know, what else do you need, really? At that opening, I feel like didn't age, <laughs> it didn't age well either because. Every everyone's so PC in culture now that you know it's not appropriate to um, call people out on their weight. And there's a lot of like, I'm gonna blow hole, blow these fat ladies all over the place. You know, yeah, I'm gonna blow a hole through this fat lady and then a hole through that fat lady behind you. And then yeah, it's not PC, of- not PC at all. And then like the boy in the laundromat's like you know talking to him about like. You know his his gun, and he's like, "That's right." The, Kro- the Kroger blaster is that what they call it? 
the Kroger Blaster, yeah, and I, and I, I've, I want to say somewhere I even I've seen it called the Proto Blaster, but I feel like he calls it the Kroger Blaster. <laughs> but uh, I had to watch that part over a couple times because I was just like I couldn't get what they were calling it, and there's no really direct references on the internet of what the hell they call it. So I'm just calling it the Kroger Blaster. It, that's I know that it's a custom made gun because one of Sprug's henchman the next day does say that you know i've heard of a custom-made monster you know or whatever you know and <laughs> it's something that he had made for himself and i feel like one thing they never talk about in this or its subsequent film is how he is like i don't know if it's like a biological thing but he's like like has an attachment to the gun because he can like projectile like make it come back to him like a boomerang when his palm right yeah, when it's almost like a magnetic kind of pull, but they never really quite, they never explain it, but they don't really need to. They don't, but, um, you know, that's okay. But yeah, I don't think the opening really <laughs> aged all that well, because there's a lot of like, fat ladies, fat ladies, that's right, fat boy. There's a lot of calling people out and weight shaming everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a little uncomfortable, to be quite yeah. honest, because I'm like, I'm an overweight gentleman myself, and after a while I was just like, okay, stop the fat shaming, would you? It is, you know, it's not quite on the level of, like, Nicholas Gester, Judd Oman either, but, like, I even enjoy the the fat kid because I was Cody Berger from, like, Nash, probably most notably National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. He played Randy Quaid's son with the unidentified <laughs> fungus, but he was also one of the kids in Moonbeam's Pet Shop, and he had done a lot of work as a, as a kid, and I always found him amusing, and he just wasn't really in the movie much either other than uh thanking brick for saving his mom's life to which brick just walks away walks away <laughs> silent character doesn't say a thing and then we get to the point where after all this you know he's like where the you know the mayor's just screaming at him he's like you're through you goddamn psycho he's like you're through in this area like well he, he's he saved everybody yeah a couple of the people went into cardiac arrest but nobody died nobody really got hurt and like this guy was literally going to blow everybody away so i kind of figured it is a win-win i don't get it where you know burke was such a psycho but yeah he, he, he just he didn't do anything bad which makes it all the more hilarious that judd omen's like you're through you goddamn psycho <laughs> you so angry. Well, then when he gets back to his apartment, the the news is on the the TV, and I don't get where they they did this spin job, where the news is just like there was like how how would they say there was six point five casualties? They always had a point a decimal system in the casualties. There was six point five casualties, and and one point four of the casualties were children. I'm just like, how do you get your numbers? Yeah, there's a lot of weird, like, uh, mathematical inconsistencies. <laughs> 1.4 no. of the victims were children? Huh? Yeah, I feel like, and you know, I think that that might be something that might have been in theme with the way Sprug was set up to, the way, like, Sprug is still alive, but over different criminal jobs, Brick has physically... Uh, maimed him and removed body parts and things like that so maybe that you know like maybe he lost you know 1.4 percent of his body you know that's <laughs> how i always kind of thought that out but yeah like none of those statistics they say on tv are correct because no one died right right it was like they but, were uh, just trying to do a spin job to make him out to be the bad guy i just uh it just seems silly imagine if trump had been president on arturos he would have been screaming false news Oh, yeah. 
uh, <laughs> freaking Cheeto. Anyway, <laughs> but that's the sequence that that I called the biggest bullshit sequence in the movie. Like a porthole opens up in Jack's apartment door. Michael Halsey, great uh, you know character actor, did a lot of Albert Pune stuff. I mostly remember him from Mean Guns. But like he just leans in the room, starts spraying the room with bullets. Jack, and I almost said Jack Death, not Jack Death, Brick Bardo kind of bounces around the room, loses his gun, and they shoot him in the neck with a dart. Next thing you know, it's the next morning, they're in some obligatory, uh, just bombed out area, buildings laying on their side, just nothing but rubble. And yeah, it's, an I, in- I, it's an interesting location because the architecture and everything looks so inconsistent. Oh, yeah. It was just, they, they just got an area that just looked decimated. It was just supposed to look like a war zone. And I, I get it. I get it. But I just didn't get, like, I thought for Brick being such a badass, they managed to capture him a little too easy. You they, know? Like the dart. Yeah, it's, he's such a badass, but he's so easily capturable. I don't know. Even before he becomes 13 inches tall. Yeah, he's such a crazy badass, but he didn't anyone <laughs> a lot of inconsistencies about like w- the, w- the way people perceive brick bardo and the way he actually is <laughs> uh but this is where we get introduced where michael halsey's character turns out he is not the, the villain well he is a, a villain but he works for sprug and frank uh Collison, I think is his last name. If I, I just wrote down Frank, I, I, I think his last name was Collison, if I remember correctly. He, he is the the saving grace of this movie as far as like villain wise. Like I'm not trying to play down Jackie Earl Haley, but Jackie Earl Haley, when they get to Earth, Jackie Earl Haley plays Braxton, who is the in, in all essence the main villain uh, on Earth. But Sprue. He he is great. I mean, Jack Earl Haley is just unfortunately this is not his best role. He is sort of one note. He he plays that one note well, but he's just kind of one note in this one. But Frank Collison is just great as Sprug. I mean, some of the effects obviously are miniatures and don't work out as well with they're using the forced perspective because I mean, like, would you just say basically uh, uh, Sprug is basically nothing but a head floating on a. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's almost like a, a, a like a hoverboard with like like a jetpack or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's, basically it. It's like a it's like a flying hoverboard. It's like, it's got like little like a little motor things on the side with like fans, and it just kind of like I love the wide shots where you can tell it's just like a prop with like a fake head that just keeps kind of bobbing back and forth. And <laughs> yep, it's just like this like dumbfounded like with like his eyes bugging out, and he's not like moving <laughs> like he is great as Spruga. Spruga is a neat character and he feels like he has a really neat backstory but it goes nowhere <laughs> he's like the yeah. lead villain for like first half or third of the movie and then it just sort of like flips the script and they're like surprise Braxton is the villain and you're like right oh <laughs> so but I like that we I get the that. idea, and he's like, uh, I love the line I wrote down here. He's like, you haven't seen the last me. He's like, I am seeing the last you. He's like, last time I saw you, what did I take? Two or three legs? And I just want to I just want to know, what kind of people were these? That, that There's certain ones of them that were walking around with three legs? I don't... I mean, again, it was this underutilized, but it, like the fact that he had used his, you know, 
Brick could use his proto blaster or Kroger blaster to blow off his arm, his other arm, most of his left leg, and it like blew up, blew his entire body to smithereens where all they were able to save was his head. And he just says, oh, you know, they're doing wonderful things with modern medicine these days. I'm like, I want to know what kind of modern medicine Arturo's had where they could save a person's life if all there was left was a head. Yeah, tell tell Charlie we need, like, Dollman Origins Sprug so we can see, like, the backstory of Sprug. As if I ever meet Charlie again, I will tell him just that. <laughs> I'd be like, who is Sprug? <laughs> Uh, he'd, he'd probably be like, I don't remember. I don't even remember making Doll Man. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, you mean that, that, the, the dude that was the head, like on the board, that was floating around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's made too many evil Bong movies. He's not going to remember. He's not going to remember that anymore. <laughs> 40-some movies, I'm sure they all start to blend together as the same thing. Right, right. But yeah, Jack manages to... to Get one over on old Sprug and uh, Michael Halsey's character, who I forgot what his name was. He's you blink and you miss. Yeah, they're such honestly. You know, just, he doesn't want you. They're throwaways. They're 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 thugs. They're essentially you know thug number one, thug number two, thug number three. But you know, like he uh, said, he had that line where he's like, "I've heard about this custom-made monster for years," and he's like, "What does it feel like to be on the other side?" and uh, I almost said Jack Death again. <laughs> it's kind of hard when you're talking about Tim Thompson. <laughs> I mean, he's literally Jack Death, just a foot tall. Yeah, and, and with less one-liners. Yeah, he's he's a man of a lot less words and a lot less uh, quippy one-liners. That's for sure. And, and I'll make I'll make a note of this. We're gonna come back to the Jack Death comparison when we get to the end of the movie because I'm gonna point something out to you. But go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Well, he just, you know, he, he uses that uh, magnetic thing in his hand that, that boomerangs the gun back to him, fires off once, and it just, you see how awesome the power of this gun is. Like, I, I made a note, note here. Nice fucking gun. I would like one for a, be ideal for home defense. One shot, this makes the guy blow up. He Boom, he shoots the other guy who is, I, I don't remember even who that was, but blows him up to smithereens to all there's left is an, an arm, part of a chest and a, and a talking head. But I do love the line when he's sitting there and he's smoking on the cigarette as uh, Brick Bardo's standing over him. He's like, what are you going to do, asshole? You can't kill me anymore. And he's like, you know, what do you want? And he's like, nothing. Brick Bardo's yeah. just like, nothing, and just walks away. And he's like, you're just going to walk away? And he's like, doesn't even say nothing. Just is like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. And I kind of love the cold-naturedness of it. It's it's funny because that those effects, when the people get shot in that that scene i think those are to this movie's credit i think those are some of the most amazing effects they've had in a full moon movie when those two thugs get shot and they literally just physically explode the first guy like he he explodes and his body flips in such a manner that he's like blown to pieces and he like splatters forward yeah, yeah. like it, it they it looks amazing to this movie's credit unfortunately the other gunshot after that don't live up to those no no i I think the the idea behind it was that on earth the kroger blaster was still powerful but it just didn't have the impact on yeah it's just like a regular fatal gunshot wound to us (laughs) let's face it it was just a 44 magnum that was kind of dressed up to look semi-futuristic that's what it was it was the same it was the same gun i made a note of it that uh 
at least it appeared to be. I'd have to check, but it's the same gun that uh, Charles Bronson used in Death Wish Three, the Wildy Magnum or the Forty Four Magnum, and uh, it was just modified. You know, just you know, they take a, a legit gun, modified a little bit, and hey, we have our you know special space gun. But then there are Sprugs on the run on the at this point. And they are chasing each other, and both they're they both have like individual spaceships, not big like Starship Enterprise spaceships, but little one man crafts. And they're leaving Arturo's, but like neither one, of the, even though they don't explain this really, neither one of their ships is going to handle the ride. I just kind of wonder if their ships were not meant. They don't explain it, but boy, I kind of just took it upon myself to, to kind of superimpose the story where they didn't give it to us was that the ships weren't meant to leave, you know, Arturos. They weren't meant to go outer space. That's, that's just what I got to. But they hit a rift, like an interdimensional rift, and they traveled to Earth. And, you know, they I do kind of like the line where he's like, you know, your ship's not going to make it, as Brug says to him. He's like, well, neither is yours. He's like, yeah, but I don't give a fuck. Actually, I keep wanting to say Jack. God damn it, I keep doing that. <laughs> but Brick says to him, he's cold about it. He's like, what the fuck makes you think I do? This is the man who doesn't care about anybody's life, let alone his own. Exactly. But they, they go through the interdimensional rift. The computer is just like you've landed on an alien planet. The, the life forms on this planet have a six-to-one size difference. Boom, he's 13 inches tall. <laughs> and then we get our one of like, what, three or four different, I call them uh, urban urban city montages where it's just... I did not remember such a bizarrely long, oddly awkward feeling montage at this point in the movie because you just get this like barrage of like bizarre... Yeah, just like intercity shenanigans of people like committing crimes and doing drugs and like attacking people and shit to like the most weirdly toned music. <laughs> like, like, I love Ripper Reddy's theme. I think some of the music that appears in other parts of the movie almost feel like they were done for a different film because they feel. Like, they don't match what's going on. And I think it's something that makes this movie feel tonally off a lot of the times because you're looking at serious stuff, but then it's like this goofy, like, dun, 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 dun. like, like goofy sounding yeah. score. That doesn't it doesn't fit. Like, it doesn't fit at all. Yeah, it's a very, very, like, tonally imbalanced uh, stuff. But yeah, it's really yeah, the prolonged, oddly placed montage to be like yeah yeah he's in the bronx now like we're they want to hammer it into your head like he's he's in the bronx get ready doll man versus like the inner city gangs and, <laughs> and this is where we get introduced to kamala uh lopez who plays uh debbie you know or kind of our main wouldn't really say love interest because she's not really, you know, there's nothing sexual between her and Brick Bardo, but there is, yeah. I mean, I think you would probably agree there is some sort of a weird attraction there, 
but it's not it doesn't feel overtly sexual i mean because let's face it he's 13 inches tall you know it's, it's not going to work out logistically but it's just like he's uh you know he's definitely in, in, interested in her, where she, and she's interested in him. But of course, they have that barrier. But like the note I made here, Kamala Lopez is a great actress. She is a fine actress. But in any reality, the Debbie character would have been dead already years before. The ballsy move she makes to attack a drug dealer in the middle of the street would not go over in the Bronx. At least not in the Bronx of 1990. This is like 1991, like. East Bronx and she just rushes she like bum rushes that drug dealer and like starts attacking him and like throwing rocks at him and shit I was like we just came off like the 80s which was a very mean spirited era for film you know what I mean especially towards females you know and I'm not just referring to like horror because everyone likes to usually grill horror for being like very woman hater type of mentality and i don't think that that's necessarily true because horror glorifies tough women yeah but i I believe so too in action movies especially the 80s there there was no mercy like women got beat to shit raped like like violated and fucked up at the drop of a hat sometimes to like like you know, to the most awe-inspiring degrees in some movies, especially, you you know, you mentioned Death Wish. Go back and watch any Death Wish movie made in the 80s, (laughs) and you're going to see exactly what I'm talking about. Just like this brutal, no-holds-barred, like, fuck you mentality. She attacks this freaking drug dealer and is throwing rocks at him and shit. I'm like, in any other reality, she would have gotten her head fucking cracked open. She'd have been beaten to shit raped and then murdered in any other movie <laughs> right right but not, but not in this movie's reality because no, she's like in the, in the tough, full moon reality that doesn't happen yeah she's like the tough like one woman like i'm gonna save my i'm gonna save the inner city crusader so you know she can't that can't happen to her so yeah and, and good for her and good for them for making such a strong <laughs> character but i did like i said i made that note i'm like in any other movie in any other time she'd have been dead in five minutes she'd have been dead a long time ago i passed her opening introduction because <laughs> like, that i had never really thought about it either until this rewatch and i'm like yeah she is like dead woman walking i don't know how she's even still alive truthfully like acting <laughs> like that <laughs> like Braxton is the only reason why she's still alive. Braxton and Brick, you know, because she the 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 drug dealer comes back with a couple of goons, which I had to make a, a note here. These are a couple of na- good name actors too. Uh, we've got Vincent Clinn from Cyborg as Hector and Luis Contreras as Jackson, and they're kind of like two you know, thugs to the the main you know baddie uh, Braxton. And they show up with another guy, and they're going to burn her alive. I'm like, this the guy, like this is like the reality of what would have happened to Debbie's yeah. character in any other yeah. movie. You're into that because they're like, yeah, screw her. We're going to pour gasoline on her and light her on fire and let her burn alive. Because that was the moment I was like, oh yeah, now I feel like I'm in the 80s again. <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah, we're just going to burn women alive. You know that that's just what we would do in the 80s, I guess. <laughs> that's what the drug dealer before them would have done <laughs> so well and did you notice vincent clinn vince clinn spills gas everywhere except on debbie like he gets one little splash on her 
in a close-up, but like the gas goes up all over everybody else. Yeah, he gets it everywhere. They would have all went up if anyone let a match, honestly. Right, right. But, you know, but Brick Bardo is there amongst the rubble in his uh, ship. He shows up with his gun, shoots everybody to either everybody is either A, dead or running away wounded. And, you know, the, the, Debbie takes off with the Brick in his ship. The ship is, you know, basically about four foot wide. Now she picks it up. It basically looks like a big toy Millennium Falcon. And she runs away with him when Braxton shows up with the rest of his uh, droogs, so to speak. And that's when we notice that Sprug has also lived. And they see him and they make a deal. Sprug and Braxton bond. And he's like, listen, I'll, you know, I'll help you achieve whatever you want to achieve. And he's like, what that? What's that? And he's like, well, it'll help you take over this world such as it is. And you can obviously see, at least at the beginning... Sprue thought he was going to be able to pull one over on Braxton, that he was going to be able to easily manipulate him into getting what he wanted, which was to kill Brick Bardo. <laughs> and I will say in the, that sequence, it actually had my favorite line of the movie because Sprue's like, you know, so do we have a deal? And Braxton's like, so, so what, you want like a new hat or something? <laughs> <laughs> I do like that line. Uh, it is a good line. It's just like and a talking part where I made it. I made a random note. I didn't realize that this was filmed back to back. Uh, I had to take this off the IMDb trivia. I did not know that this was filmed back to back with Arcade. Yes, he was kind of going from set to set. So during this period, so it was, uh, and a lot of um, the locations are actually repeated. So a lot of the exterior fighting scenes, especially the area where brick crashes, uh, it looks kind of like, I don't know what it is, but it looks like kind of almost like a quarry. There's a lot of rocks and stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. was used in level two of arcade when Megan Ward finds herself sort of in the intercity landscape. Um, and she has to get the key out of the, 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 the pond hole kind of thing. It's just, it's the same location. It's the rock, the rock formation. Yeah. Everything. yeah it's the that, same location. The, we'll just call it the quarry for now. It was the same location used for a lot of the exteriors for crash and burn. It was also, uh, used in puppet master three. They shot a lot in that area right there. Yeah. Beautiful location. I mean, it's very cinematic. Yeah. Now, this is the point where the movie, like, I, I, I feel like this is where the movie drags for me, where they she brings Brick back to the apartment and introduces him to her. The, the, the kid's not a bastard. He's he's not a bastard, but he's an annoying little shit. He's just so, uh, I he's, think his name was Kevin, little Kevin, uh, W's yeah. kid. He's just yeah. annoying. It drags once the kid is introduced. He's just a dumb, like, overly rambunctious, nosy kid, which who... Again, to to bring up my my uh, the more powerful arcade uh, <laughs> movie uh, was you know Humberto Ortiz was in both Dollman and Arcade yes, because yes, he was boy in uh, one of the final rounds of Arcade. Arcade, so. the movie, the movie, folks. In case you didn't know, Arcade is the movie that Dustin loves a lot more than this one. Kate is by far a superior film to Dollman, but I know, you know what? I think um, 
to Dollman's credit, I think a lot of full moon purists might actually would argue me on that because I think this movie does have a lot of fans for the record there are a lot of people i mean i still like it i'm picking on it a little bit because it's just kind of it's went down a point for me over the years like when i was uh i'll get into my rating you know at the end as we always do but like i looked at my rating on imdb and by the time that i was done watching it i came down one full point yeah you know so we'll, we'll get into that more later but like the gang now is uh reconvened back at the hideout Braxton has come back there with his, you know, spaceship that he's got Sprug in. But Vincent Clint, Hector, is bleeding out on the pool table. And he's mostly pissed off that he's bleeding on his pool ta- table. Because, like, you know, what guy wouldn't be mad? Hey, this guy's leaking a gallon of blood on my pool table. You know, it's obviously he's a bad guy. He doesn't give a shit about his, his, his cronies. But this is where um, we get another kind of cameo by another, like, kind of... Uh, Full Moon slash B-movie royalty. Uh, Samantha Phillips plays Tina, who's just kind of there. She's just kind of uh, yeah, like Braxton's girl. <laughs> yeah, she does literally nothing other than kind of like do stuff in the background and kind of like kiss Braxton occasionally. Right, right. And I love when Luis Contreras' character Jackson is trying to explain how the, this quote-unquote doll man took out Hector and shot the other guy. And he's like, no, no, man, he was a little guy. He was like little, he was like this big. And he says the bottle of booze there. And he's like, yeah, why don't you drink some more? Mm-hmm. And like, he's, and he's trying to like, you know, <laughs> you know, explain it to him, but Braxton ain't having it, even though he has a spaceship with a guy that's just a floating head. Yeah. Sure. I know they're like, they don't buy the idea of a, a quote unquote doll man who like shot him up, but he, yeah, he found like an alien head on a, hoverboard that's offering to give them like a bomb that will help them like rule the planet <laughs> like just does, he's like I, man I, with that bomb we could take our, i love the line when he says he's like with that bomb we could take over like the whole east side yeah. <laughs> just varying tones of bizarre baloney <laughs> like, like i don't i don't get it uh and of course you know we get back to you know brick at the apartment with debbie he blows away a cockroach with his big Kroger blaster that takes off a, like a whole like three foot chunk of the table, and we have the obligatory "I won't allow guns in my house." Give me the gun, but to Brick's, uh, you know, to his ability, he he keeps his uh, he keeps the gun. He he manages, which is a good thing because Braxton shows up and makes a little visit, and Doll Man uh, takes them all out, takes them all out except for Braxton, who he just wounds. But you know he's he's wounded in such a way that his body is starting to deteriorate, I guess you could say, right? From the blaster. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. And Sprug saves him with a a button that (laughs) I don't know what it is. That's, you know, uh, that heals him, that heals Braxton's wound. So much of nothing actually happening when he fixed it. Yeah. It it, it just kind of looked like, yeah, it just kind of like, healed it over real quick and and then oh, yeah. he's like it's better like <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah it's better now and then he's like you work for me now and he's like what the fuck are you talking about and then he just squashes sprug that's how quickly like they take out sprug and you're supposed to be this ultimate badass and i'm much more like sprug than i did braxton but it goes to prove that when you're just a head that's about a, a three quarters of an inch tall when a guy's you know six foot five 
or six foot, you know, I'm, I don't think uh, Jackie Earl Haley's quite that tall, but six foot, you know, sm- sm- smashes him. He thinks he's got all the cards. Yeah, and kind of that moment where it just like everything shifts because you feel like Sprue was set up as the lead villain. And I feel like if we stayed on Arturos, he could have been the lead villain, but on Earth, he just doesn't really, uh, no pun intended, but he doesn't really stack up to the other villains. So he's unceremoniously executed by Braxton, which is unfortunate in my mind because he was a cool character and he had a lot of neat setup. And then it's just squandered by a quick like smash of the palm. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're sticking with the gangsters. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of that is the sad part. That's one of the the reasons why it came down to point for me. It's like in the end, I'm kind of I wanted more sprue. Simply put, just like no no you know slam to the writers or anything but it, they're just they're stock like drug dealers and gangbanger type characters there's nothing unique or special or memorable about any of them they just they're stock caricatures so they're just far less compelling to watch than you know some angry floating alien head on a jetpack with a with a mystical bomb that can like blow up worlds, <laughs> right? That's much more. That's a much more interesting uh, storyline than than the, the gangbangers. I think that's the movie I want to watch. Unfortunately, yeah. That's in an, the, in yeah. an alternative world, that that would have been the much better movie. Exactly. But then we get in some sad exposition where the doll man shares his sad story, where his wife, his. Uh, and his two kids and a baby were, were killed. And I kind of get the idea that that they were killed by Sprug, even though it's never said, but Sprug makes a comment about his, you know, at the beginning when they're still on our churros, and he's like, too bad, you know, the doctors couldn't do anything to save, you know, your family. And then, of course, Doll Man here 20 minutes later is sharing that sad story. I kind of get the idea that they were trying to plant the idea in your head that Sprug at least was, if not directly, was indirectly responsible for their deaths. Yeah. That was always my my uh, assumption was that that was kind of the implication they were getting at that Sprug was responsible. They just, I guess, maybe that's like more of a creative thing on the writing aspect is is that they don't just hand it to you. You just right, have to come right. Up. So, but yeah, that's kind of how I took it. Yeah, and I kind of enjoy it that way, and like it leaves a little bit up, you know, for the audience interpretation, which I'm all for. I don't need everything spelt spelt out for me. And it's a very classic, like, you know, good guy, bad guy kind of, you know, feud, you know, for, you yeah. know. Well, it would also explain why, uh, you know, Brick Bardo was so hell-bent on trying to destroy uh, Sprug in the first place at the, you know, even at the result of his own demise, you know. But yeah. still, you know, I like that idea. But, like, it goes right from that. <clears throat> and after Dollman kind of shares his little sad story, and it's... This one, everybody gets invited to the apartment, and he when uh, I almost said Jack again. Damn it, I keep doing that. <laughs> when Brick wakes up, and the entire apartment complex is staring in at him, and he gets pissed, you know, because he's already, you know, as they say, thirteen inches with an attitude. His attitude is, quit looking at me, leave me the fuck alone. Well, Braxton, who is now bleeding out because his wound is not completely healed, Sprue's surprise, surprise, Sprue's uh, quick fix didn't work out so well. So he shows up, they kidnap uh, Debbie, 
and the the son um the kevin is yelling at the window my mom my mom so you know brick makes a running leap and i love the leap out the window it's so ridiculous but like when he leaps out it's the only one of the only times that brick takes his sunglasses off he takes them off then not even all the way just lifts them up a little bit as he's sailing down now like oh you got to think this is a 13 inch tall dude falling what two three stories to just to do that uh you know that uh, John McClane jump the the grab onto the the side of the car with and his two hands. I feel like just size wise too, he wouldn't have been able to just jump through the glass. He would have literally had to been like slingshot. slingshot yeah, he did not have enough weight behind him to go through the glass. Trajectory to be able to like toss his butt, his weight through that window, <laughs> and if he but did I, through, like like he would he wouldn't fall hard like a rock you know what i mean he he's tiny so he just kind of like float <laughs> kind of down a little bit slower than like a real person would i don't know but i guess suspension of disbelief <laughs> yeah i love it though it's just because the ridiculousness of it is just like it would never work it's completely out of the realm of possibility but we're also talking about a movie that is about a 13 inch tall, tall guy and then it, so and especially he lands just strategically to catch on to the side of the window just in time for his glasses to fall back down in place over his eyes yep yep because he, he is just that about. fucking cool yeah, there's that one hilarious like wide shot though where the car you see the car go by and you see the little doll like hanging on the side of the of the car. <laughs> right, right. And that, it's obvious that. just like that stationary doll is not <laughs> it's not Tim Thomerson. The animated as like what wide wide shot Sprug is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost that ridiculous. And now of course, uh Braxton has kidnapped Debbie and but doesn't know that, you know, uh, Brick is, you know, he, he wants Brick there. He's trying to entice Brick to get there because he's kidnapped Debbie. He figures he'll come for her. But, you know, he's already there. And this is where like, I actually like some of the forced perspective shots they use to make Jack. God damn it. I keep doing that. <laughs> oh, I feel like I need to be slapped every time I accidentally call him Jack instead of Brick Bardo. But I love, and again, some of the 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 forced perspective shots that they use to make brick look as small as he does and take some of these guys out. And, but certain inserts during this finale, you know, during the, the action finale, certain inserts, it's almost painfully obvious that they're using a stunt double for Tim Thomerson. Like, like some of the, it's like, it's obviously it's Tim Thomerson diving around in the muck and the sewer system and this pipe that he's crawling through when he gets, you know, uh, Confronted, confronted, (laughs) (laughs) confronted, I can't talk tonight, gets confronted by a rat and he talks to the rat. He tells the rat, he's like, basically like, I'll make you a deal. This is like back off. All right. And the rat does just turn around and walk away. But, but anyway, it's some of the, like I said, the insert shots are just obvious stunt doubles. And for the shots that there's, it's a stunt double. There's not any stunts going on. It's just Brick Bardo standing on the top of the building firing his gun down at all of the, the, the gangbangers. So I didn't understand why they had to use someone as an insert shot for, for Tim in, in those shots. It just didn't make sense to me. You know, dare I say it, and I'm reaching here, but being that this movie was shot back to back with Arcade, and these movies, you know, they had the Paramount money, so they weren't, you know, like low budget stuff that Full Moon does nowadays. They actually had 
you know, comfortable budgets. And they did have, you know, more than one unit. They could have been shooting like second unit shit. And yeah, good point. Body body double just to maximize time. And, you know, if it's a shot you don't need to show Tim in, they could just probably steal it with someone else and uh, not have to pay him his, you know, daily rate. Right. Yeah. Right. True. Right. Yeah, that's true. And you know, they might have had to do some uh, reshoots, and maybe Tim just wasn't um, available that day. Maybe they needed to beef up the ending, and they did reshoots. You know, I never thought of it that way, but that's that's possible. It's possible. It's an option. I'm guessing, yeah. though. <laughs> but you know, the th- th- this is where it falls apart. This is where it kind of comes down a point for me. It feels like it falls apart. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it falls apart a little bit for me. But the whole final act is just very much it, it just it feels a little bit lazy and i feel bad saying that because i really do like this movie but like the action and the and whatnot and way they tidy everything up it just feels like they were trying to quick get it done and it feels felt very lazy although i did like the doll man trick with the mirror where he you know he does the hey like hey you want to pick on somebody your own size or whatever the one liner was and that's when he you know, Braxton turns and he's he's almost dead. I mean, Braxton is almost dead at this point. He's been bleeding out for so long. But, you know, he tricks him with the mirror, with the mirror superimposed with Tim Thomerson's full-size, six-foot-tall image, tricks him and... But it just doesn't quite pay off. You know, he shows up, another guy shows up that's half-burnt up and causes Brick to lose his gun again, which of course he using the same trick as he does before. He uses the magnetic trick in his hand to get the gun back, blows off uh, his right arm or was it his left arm? Doesn't matter. I, I can't remember, but he blows off one of Braxton's arms and they have that whole moment where Debbie is trying to soften brick and tells him that she does, that he doesn't really need to kill Braxton. He doesn't need to kill anymore. And then she's just like, well, whatever, you know, just don't do it for me. It just feels very <laughs> benign and very blasé and just very stereotypical. And like, we got to turn this hardened, hard-boiled guy and soften his edge a little bit. And it's just like... Hard-boiled because a lot of times I feel like they say he's one way and he acts completely different. So I feel like it's one of those things where it just nothing really, it like, adds up correctly. <laughs> it's inconsistent to say the least especially like i you notice like with each sequence where brick encounters like the gangsters and different things you know especially in the climax he has like rambo syndrome where you know where he's like stallone or schwarzenegger or something it's like every shot is a hit like he doesn't miss anyone you know it's like bang 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 and they're all shot and down like he just has this bizarrely invincible kind of feel to him (laughs) so which i guess is fine you know but it makes like the action sequence is that much more flat feeling for me too because it's like he feels like he's not beatable to a degree which doesn't really make any sense uh you know but i don't know now you said there was something that came up towards the end here since we're pretty much at the end i mean like yeah so Preston sets off the bomb which only blows up like the building that they're in, but like, you know, Debbie and both get out and this kind of ends on a happy note with, I mean, that's the end of our movie, you know, essentially, but where's the second Jack death reference? Yeah. Well, I'll say this, that bomb was supposed to like, like jettison 
stuff to like a different place. Do you remember that? Like, it's not just like supposed to explode. It was supposed right. to remove that matter and send it somewhere else. But it doesn't look like anything goes anywhere <laughs> after the the constant flashing. And then you get that like you know the weird wide shot. You know, one of those forced perspectives because this movie did use a combination of a lot of forced perspective, and then they used a you know. A, technique of merging two different shots on top of each other they have that shot of him up on the rubble you know and he's like oh right right she's all like yeah hey you know and he's like you hear that voiceover and he says well debbie you know he says something like about you know this this size will matter to you or something like that yeah tell me size doesn't matter or something to that effect which you had said about like the um tension or connection between them as a viewer i felt nothing between them personally i feel yeah, like it, maybe, it all felt very forced like i said there I, was something there but it just didn't feel, I feel like, like anything supposed to be and i feel like she's maybe a little more drawn to him maybe that mama bear instinct where she's like i've got to save i have to save my kid i have to save the bronx i have to like save the doll right right it feels like she's compelled to like protect him kind of mentality but i never felt like a sexual tension between them because he feels like he's uninterested in anything like he seems completely asexual he's not interested in attracting to anything he's super desensitized to anything that is not not killing bad guys and then it gets to that moment where he's like you know tell me size doesn't matter i'm like okay well there's jack death right there because jack (laughs) jack is a pimp he fucks. Oh him. yeah, you know. Like, <laughs> he th- anything that will move, and some things probably yeah. that wouldn't move. Women throw themselves at Jack Death. They fight over him. Like he, women want to be with Jack Death because he's confident. He's a tough guy. He's got charisma. You know, people love Jack Death. Brick Bardo is not Jack Death. <laughs> no. Personality or charisma wise, he's and I feel like Brick is a very different feeling character come the sequel because I feel like he feels a bit more Jack Death E in the versus movie. But in this movie, you hit the nail on the head really well for me. I feel like he is almost very asexual in this. He doesn't give two shits about like I feel like he didn't give two shits about having anything to do with Debbie. So the, no, the fact he, he didn't want to do anything besides get off that planet. Yeah, he asked that question, and he, he makes one-liners like the, you know, oh, I am seeing the last of you, Sprig. You know, like, he says that, but it's not like, oh, ha-ha, wink at the camera kind of, you know, he's just, like, being a smart-ass. It's, right. he's, just being, he's being ironic or whatever. He's using a double entendre just to be a prick. Like, that moment at the end, I'm like, that feels very, like, I'm Jack Death, and I'm going to say this really funny one-liner with a wink and a grin, and you're going to laugh because you think I'm hilarious, and now you want to have sex with me. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, good that point. Good point. is not Brick Bardo <laughs> in this movie. So the fact that he asks that at the end, I'm like, that feels like something that was just shoehorned in as like weird ADR later that was not in the movie to begin with. So... I don't know that 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 last line of dialogue just feels false and out of place to me.
Yeah, yeah, it does. It does feel a bit out of place. If it, actually, it doesn't even feel a bit out of place. It feels like a lot out of place. But that is essentially not the... It would be almost the end of our movie, but it's, there's a 15-minute like credit sequence of a weird, again, montage type stuff. Yeah. But I did not watch that. I feel like I, I've watched that enough. I didn't need to see the replay of all the footage that I had just watched before. Picture now, credits so dragged out, they show you three or four different shots of the same actors. Yep. <laughs> really drag that credit sequence out because those start I think around like 75 minutes and the movie's 82 so right. yeah, really it's a good seven or eight minutes of just like montage credit to yeah I'm a, big, I'm a big supporter of the picture credits you know this no uh, yes I, I think that I first really learned the magic of a good picture credit sequence by um, some classic like 90s era Fredel and Raby movies and I remember even him saying on a commentary once, he's like, you know, picture credits, they're they're good because you got you get to give each talent a nice final tip of the hat. Like, you know, this was this was so and so, good job. Show show a really good shot of them, so that you know. And that was a that was a good way where I learned how who a lot of people were in the '90s as yeah. well. I mean, because I didn't have the internet movie database. So a good picture credit sequence. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there was, there was no internet back then. <laughs> yeah, so a good picture credit sequence actually taught me who a lot of my B-movie stars were. So, you know, I, I was grateful for that. And I love a good picture credit sequence now. But, man, they're really stretched out in this movie. <laughs> yeah, a little bit overplayed, a little bit overplayed. Well, that being said, let's go ahead and get off into our final thoughts and reviews. And I know you you peeled the Band-Aid off for me to review this one. I know it was painful for you. So I'll let you off the hook here in a little bit. But you got to give me your, your final thoughts and review on a rating from 1 to 10. So, Doll Man. You know, um, it's a great character. Rick Bardo is a really neat concept i think the the originality of the concept is actually more high concept than probably what a lot of the other paramount era full moon movies were because i think it's almost too high concept for its own good though um because clearly we couldn't we can't stay on arturos too long you get hampered with this weird bronx stuff you get hampered with this weird non- romantic lead and just i don't know it's it feels like a lot of missed opportunities i feel like there's a lot of tonal inconsistencies that don't don't match the material sometimes sometimes it's funny sometimes it's super serious they say a certain character acts a certain way then they act a different way it just feels like nothing really connects thomerson for what it's worth is primo as always doesn't phone in a performance i don't think thomerson knows how to phone in a performance because he's always top notch even if i think the movie isn't yeah right right definitely brick's a great character he really is um i think that just unfortunately once you leave the world of arturos he just gets stuck in this really cliche bogged down uninteresting movie that i feel like i've already seen in a ton of other gang drug dealer <laughs> gangbanger type flicks that i just didn't really enjoy to begin with 
Um, and like like we said, the cast is phenomenal. It has a really nuts supporting cast, like Nicholas Guest and Judd Ohm and Frank Doubleday. You know, like I didn't remember Sam Phillips from Phantasm Two being in it. I didn't either until this viewing. And she went on to be in a bunch of like Full Moon Erotica for Surrender Cinema, like Andromeda, The Pleasure Planet, and the Regina Pierce Affair. A lot of stuff. And I had like Marley Kennedy as Maria. You know, from like Night of the Demons 2 and Leprechaun 3. Like, there's a lot of people, even Humberto Ortiz from my favorite full moon movie, Arcade. But I just feel like none of them are utilized. <laughs> to their yeah, point. they are very underutilized. They're all, they're all squandered. I feel like it's a movie that's a lot of squandered, missed opportunities. And I love me or hate me, because I know it's not a very loved movie, but I think the sequel does a lot of the concept better and it kind of succeeds where I feel like this movie fails on a lot of levels. Um, you know, and it, like you said, this movie's like pulling a bandaid off for me. I don't enjoy it. I, it's one of my least favorite Paramount era full moon movies. Uh, oh. and it's, <laughs> it's not one that I go back and rewatch ever. Um, I will. Thank you for rewatching it for me at least. Well, you know, I appreciate that much. Yeah, well, you know, rewatching it, honestly, you know, it's been a minute. So, uh, you know, I and like I said, I saw things I didn't remember, don't remember remembering. So it, it was like seeing it with new eyes, but I didn't really enjoy it any better. And I think that Pune has made a lot better films. So I, there's strong stuff and there's weak stuff. I'm going to be right in the middle. It's like a... And I'll say this, like when I write movies, especially like like with this show, you know, I, you know, like 100 is perfect. 90 to me is like an A, 80 is a B, et cetera, et cetera. You know, kind of right, like, right. Yeah, like right. junior high, high school kind of level. Yeah. So this might feel like a high rating for me, but in my mentality, it's still kind of an F. I would give it a five. It's just middle ground, boring missed opportunities that I just don't enjoy watching. There's strong stuff about it. I just, I don't dig it. I really don't. I well, dig, you know, like you said before the show, not all of them can be wine and roses, right? I mean, yeah, I did. I dig the work everyone put into it. You know, I know they, they put a lot of hard work into it. And like I said, I think this is genuinely one of the highest concept movies in the entire full moon library. I just don't think they do anything smart with it. So I just, it's not one I'll watch again. So anytime soon, but I'd give it. Well, Hey, we, we, we managed to pull that bandaid off and, you know, for least for this show, you you don't have to watch it again. That being said, I, I can agree with a little bit of what you're saying here. It is one of the more higher concept uh, full moon movies. Like you said, it was probably a little too high concept for the time, even with the Paramount money. Now, when I went back and looked over it on Wikipedia and IMDb to find out a little bit of trivia about the movie and whatnot, I saw that I had already rated it on IMDb. And I came in, at, apparently when I rated this back, must have been like 2010, probably when I rated it. I came in at a nine. Oh, now, how dare you? 
I don't now, know what to say about that. Like, yeah, like I came, I came in at, at a nine on this one back then. Now, the rating that I'm giving it now is a seven and a half. I came down a point and a half. Because I feel like uh, I, I'm coming to rating things the same way you do, you know, with a scale from one to ten, I kind of feel like you know, hundred is perfect, is an A plus, ninety is an A, eighty is a B, seventy is like a C. So it's it's a it's a C level movie for me, you know. It's it just feels like some of the the effects haven't aged well, you know. Some of the effects have aged tremendously, you know. The the stuff on Arturo's really worked well, and it does have an amazing cast. But Tim Thomerson aside, and Tim Thomerson, hats off to you, fucking legend. But, you know, everybody else in it also helps with this. You know, the Sprue character, Michael Halsey, Nicholas Guest, Kamala Lopez. I mean, even, you know, little small parts by Frank Doubleday and Vincent Klin, Jackie Earl Haley. You know, everybody, you know, is great in it, but they're just underutilized. It just feels like they, if they could have just been left to go a little nuts... It might even have come. It might have stayed at that nine for me, but it just felt like everybody was really underutilized, and some of it really fell apart in the third act. You know, when I see a movie like this, I want to see big action set pieces. I don't want to be, you know, just reminded of what we've already seen before. If that makes sense, this is like, this is kind of more of the same, more of the same, nothing new. But yeah, I, I give it a. Yeah, you know, I went from a nine to a seven and a half. Like I'm still coming in two and a half higher than you. And so, but you know, it's still it's still classic full moon to me. It deserves its classic status. Uh, I mean, Brick would make what two more appearances, not counting the comic books, the cameo appearance at the end of what Bad Channels, and then the sequel, Doll Man versus Monic Toys, are the only other actually two like thematic sequels with Tim Thomerson as Brick Bardo, right? I'm not missing one. No, you are correct. Brick would only ever cameo post credits for bad channels, and then he would get his own spinoff with the Versus movie. And beyond that, Brick is uh, a thing of the past. <laughs> He's one of those. At least he got. I I I don't like to count bad channels as a as an appearance, but it is. Um, but he's one of those characters that's considered like a legendary full moon kind of like rogues gallery character but he's not anyone that really was ever utilized much so because even in his actual quote-unquote sequel slash spinoff i mean that movie's 64 minutes and you know there's maybe like 40 minutes of new footage so he didn't even really get to do a whole lot in his own sequel right so, right and I did. I did love the the comic book spinoff that I remember reading back in the day was uh, Doll Man Kills the Full Moon Universe, where Doll Man essentially kills everything and everybody. Like yeah. that's the movie we. If we would have got that, would have been a movie. Yeah, there's been some. I mean, even the the '90s Eternity Comics run, uh, which had a had a few few issues. I mean, Doll Man's a great character he just you know he didn't really have much of a cinematic run he did clearly yeah he was the kind of like premier vehicle for full moon comics when they launched that two or three years ago with doll man kills the full moon universe which is probably like the most insanely like universe comprehensive you know because he literally comes into contact with most everyone <laughs> yeah. you know from most of the movies and 
kills them all you know yep. right up all the demonic toys all the puppets and puppet master you name it they're there and he kills them all right up to facing off against himself with jack death so yep yep the movie guy though yeah he just doesn't really he didn't really get much of a cinematic life so which is unfortunate yeah, it is unfortunate, but, you know, we would still get more Tim Thomerson as Jack Death, you know, in, in multiple sequels, and not including the, the, the one that wish we do not speak, Transfer 6. <coughs> Man is one of those things where it's like, I feel like it's more revered by fans and history than something like, you know, Demonic Toys is in a way and demonic toys is like it's a classic full moon movie you know but like they don't really give it much credit at full moon you know <laughs> like you know so yeah and i don't agree with that as much as i you know i got a lot more love for this movie than i know you do but even i don't agree with that i mean it's just uh, to me the ultimate uh full moon character is jack death we've discussed that many times uh, he he is the king you know as you put it he's a pimp and he is just that. He's a king and a pimp, and he's great. But, but Dollman was a good secondary character. His, like you said, his cinematic run just didn't quite, you know, equal out to as much, uh, you know, music and mayhem. I guess as, as the phrase goes. But I feel like the, the tank should have been fuller with this franchise, but unfortunately, it just uh, ran out of gas way sooner than I think anyone expected it to. So. Yeah, it came up a little short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> that's when we find out size does fucking matter <laughs> oh folks well that being said we've had a lot of fun with this one at least i know i have uh I'm, i've had and i knew this this was one that you did not want to cover but in order to get to the good stuff we had to get through, we had to trudge through this one so again i it's sometimes just as fun to talk about ones you don't enjoy as much, though, too. So, you know, there's something to be said for reviewing a movie that I don't overly enjoy. So, yeah, as long as we have fun doing it, we'll continue to do it. But thanks again, Dustin, for uh, joining me. I know it's been a little while. Our schedules have been a little hectic and not quite jiving, but hopefully we can get back on some sort of regular recording schedule here soon. But that being said, folks, you have been listening to Howling at the Full Moon on Cinema Degeneration, and we have been tearing apart, dissecting, and reviewing the 1991 Albert Pune-directed Doll Man. And just remember, size apparently does matter. I saw the news tonight. You're a very violent man, Bardo. Yes, I know. It's a violent universe. <laughs> I bet you thought you'd seen the last of me. I am seeing the last of you, Sprug. After our last encounter, this is all they managed to salvage. Let's see if I can remember it the first time. Conklin bank job. I blew off your left arm. Most of my left foot. And then there was the space extortion. What did I take? Two or three legs? Among other things. And the last time. All I remember was your head rolling around in the parking lot. I didn't think there was enough to say. Modern medicine, they're doing some wonderful things. <laughs>